Once more with podcast. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show, everybody. We're back. Uh, we haven't been cancelled. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, I'm Athena. I'm Tarky. And uh, and this is uh, Once More with Podcast, the uh, official podcast of Buffy Boards. The official second episode. Sec, we have two episodes under our belt and uh, it feels pretty good. I have to admit that people still technically agree if you sound pilot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think the pilot episode was more of a, a sort of test. I, I kind of take it. I don't take it as an official uh, I don't take it as canon. Let's put it like that. <laughs> it's, it's not part of the Once More With podcast canon it's a separate beast that um we did when we were young and naive um like a month and a half ago and you know i'm gonna debate you on that and this canon debate will probably be as vicious as any shipping debate (laughs) i imagine it's like some people don't count the comics as canon and some do and i'm like i count the pilot as canon and you don't see the thing is is I've always kind of said that if if we didn't have a difference of opinion, like if you and I agreed on everything, th- it would be really dull because, you know, ev- each of us have got our own opinions on certain things. Um, Some of I us think- happen to be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you can stop talking about me now. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, yeah, this is our... Episode two of our podcast, and um, so I think what we what we want to do is obviously we want to thank everyone for listening to episode one and for sort of getting involved in the conversation between um, Tabula Rasa and Spin the Bottle, and I think quite a few people went out and rewatched those episodes and maybe reappreciated them and that's pretty good i think that's kind of what we were aiming for yeah, wasn't it yeah pretty much and it's nice to see that people went out and watched those episodes and appreciated them for the greatness that are those episodes <laughs> yeah and that's the thing you know i think in sort of buffy and angel i mean you know they're both kind of up there um i think spin the bottle is definitely up there for me as one of the best episodes of angel um, and me personally, Tabula Rasa is the best thing since sliced bread. There's <laughs> only a few episodes that are above it, in my opinion. But I think it was really great that some people on the boards were kind of saying, well, you know, I didn't used to really like Spin the Bottle, but now I've rewatched it, I actually do really like it. And and that's that's kind of what we were really aiming for, was to get a bit of appreciation out there and let's hope that that is the reaction we will get for this theme as well oh so excited about this episode (laughs) i think i think as sort of podcast ideas go i mean i know we kind of mulled over a a few we're not we're not going to mention them because they they will come back at some point in the near future but i think when we kind of talked about this i think we were both in agreement that this was kind of the right the right topic to talk about and uh it's it's going to be really interesting and Definitely. what is it <laughs> <Swim roll. laughs> 
Um, do we want to talk about board news first, or do we actually want to um, spill the beans on the episode now? What do you think? Mm, okay, I'll just mention the brief board news first, because they're so brief, and it's basically... Well, a lot of things have been going along that has been going along that you can hear all uh, about in the previous podcast. Uh, but more recently, the Icon Contest wrapped up and we had two winners. The clearly superior Blackthorn won a whopping 250 house points for Gwen Raiden's Amazing Art. And yeah. the okay, fine, somewhat equal, also kind of nice house, Sinea. They're forcing me to say this, guys. Uh, <laughs> got 200 house points, and um, it's an interesting battle for the house cup, let's just say. And I'm sorry, it was uh, Leary from Sinea who won those for also some really awesome art. Uh, Mr. Pole and Nix also participated, and you can all go to the uh, fan art archive and look at all of their amazing icons, because they all really created some, like, some really stunning art. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I voted for each round, and each round was so difficult, because some of the art was just outstanding and I think the the best thing about that was the fact that you didn't know who'd done it and some and of you the were purely... rounds were like the voting was really equal and stuff like yeah. that because it was really hard to choose yeah but I like that you were you were just voting purely for the art rather than the person behind the art um and uh yeah I'm super proud of uh our, our house the Blackthorn um for getting the most points and obviously you know the house points cup is very important and everyone should be fighting for their house um, and obviously if you're not currently in a house then clearly you got to go with Blackthorn because <laughs> they're champions because we're the winners woo winners but we're not biased just yeah, no, we're, we're made that stage clear completely we, neutral sources completely you neutral. have no force um, in this game we, um, the Buffy Board's legal department um, has forced us to say that um, we are completely neutral and... Um, and that Sinea also rocks. Right. Except it doesn't. Yeah, don't go that far. I mean, you know, they're all right. Some nice people in there, but, you know, Blackthorn's where it's at. <laughs> but, but we didn't say that. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I think, obviously... Board news all wrapped up. Um, I wonder if people will get our um, subject for episode two of the podcast purely based on our episode title. I really hope so. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, you know, it's 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 not exactly rocket science, and you you'll figure it out eventually because as soon as we mention the title, we're going to talk about the topic. But um, in the few seconds in between. Um, the episode title is, uh, T, do you want to say it? Our secret weapon is PMS. <sighs> what an amazing title that is. <laughs> I mean, you know, that one was just the first one we thought of. It was just sort of straight there. This is the one for us. Um, our secret weapon is PMS. It's not actually technically the line in the thing that we're talking about. We've slightly modified it. <laughs> Um, but 
Yeah, it's um, a secret weapon is PMS. We um, are talking about. We are talking about the movie. Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie from 1992. Woo! The most popular <laughs> movie on earth. Like the most amazing movie ever. Like, the um, movie. I don't think I think I've ever seen a bad word about it. <clears throat> no, the critics loved it. You know, it was a massive box office success. It made a star out of Christy uh, Swanson. Um, and I mean, who had ever heard about Luke Perry before? I know. I mean, where did that guy come from? He is so hot. He is going to be massive. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what happened to Luke Perry, actually. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so the movie. Because, let's be honest, guys and girls, without this film, we wouldn't be here. No, in a really sense. Wouldn't. We would not be talking about this, this TV show. Um, yeah, it's not the greatest movie of all time and it's it's we'll obviously go into some detail of the plot and stuff but without it this was kind of really a springboard for for joss to create make, you know yeah to, to 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 put his vision together for the show that we we all know and love it's kind so, of a test run for the show yeah i mean there's it's an interesting topic, I think, because I think anyone listening to this will just scoff and go, oh, my God, that's a terrible film. Why are they talking about that? It's awful. But going back to it, there's actually some stuff to like. I'm going to be honest it. and say that I actually really love this movie. Like, it, it's cheesy, but I think I think it's utterly adorable, actually. So I really, I really enjoy it. It is enjoyable, and it's reasonably memorable, which is not something you can say about many movies, especially movies with TV shows based on the more vice versa. Um, and it's got there's, there's a lot to like about it, and you can definitely see the core of Buffy, the show, is definitely in there somewhere. So should I do the brief summary of the movie? You can be brief, you can be less than brief, just go, my fly, my pretty fly. Okay, people, get your chairs ready, because this is about to get long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's about Buffy, a high school senior who is kind of a vapid valley girl. Uh, she is kind of best summarized in her own quote where she says that, says that she just wants to graduate high school, go to Europe, marry Christian Slater, and die. That is her entire life plan. Can I just say that's also my life plan? Yeah, I know. Mine too. We're going to have to <laughs> fight each other over Christian Slater. Uh, <laughs> she is called by a watcher named Merrick who relives his life as a watcher over and over, which is kind of sad. Uh, and she has, like, uh, a mold that's supposed to be the mark of her identity. And um, uh, she gets cramped when vampires are near. And Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being serious now. Yes. Uh, and as Buffy comes to terms with being a player, she has prophetic dreams and encounters with the vampire king, Lothos, who intends to kill her and who is the villain of the story. 
She also struggles to keep her old friends and makes a new friend uh, in the unlikely guy she previously hated named Pike. And he becomes her ally in finding the vampires after his own best friend is turned. And that is kind of the spoiler-free summary of the movie. Wow, that sounds like an amazing movie. I really (laughs) want to watch that film. Um, You know, the whole Slayer, prophetic dreams, this crazy Watcher guy. I mean, this sounds like an amazing TV show. So do you have anything to say about the production about this masterpiece? Do you know what? I have a reasonable amount to say about the the history and the production. I basically went through and um, I did a little bit of research. I think quite a lot of this information is um, available online. And there's... Wait, there's a you lot. You about... didn't track down Joss Whedon on your own and have a one-on-one on him for this podcast. I am outraged. Well, to be honest, I tried to, but there's a restraining order, uh, yeah. and I'm not allowed within 500 meters of the man. Oh right. I, uh, I have to respect his wishes and the wishes of the law um, that uh, I don't go near him. So I, I actually ended up going online and. Uh, the uh, the idea was um, originally conceived when he graduated from university and um, he went to work in a video store, which obviously for quite a lot of people, video stores don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, back in the day, you used to get all your videos. This is back when um, he also communicated with fire. Yeah. Uh, you used to go to a blockbuster or similarly... Uh, named store and you used to get your video and you used to take it home and then you used to take it back the next day. And you had to find um, it or otherwise you were facing the potential death penalty. Exactly. Be kind, rewind mm-hmm. was uh, a genuine statement. It's like now in the days of like DVDs and Blu-rays and streaming. They don't know how good they have it. <laughs> it's like, well, how do I rewind a DVD? Um, but yeah, so back in those days... Um, there was there were these video stores, and he worked in one, and um, that was where his his first inspiration for Buffy came from. Um, it was actually a movie um, about bimbos out for vengeance, um, and he sort of quoted as saying um, that he he watched it and he didn't like it because the bimbos never actually got their revenge. Could you please uh, <laughs> tell me that it was called Bimbos Out for Vengeance? Because that just sounds like the best movie ever. I don't actually know if it was called Bimbo Up of Vengeance, but we should definitely IMDB that because it's, if it doesn't exist, it probably will now um, because um, the Sci-Fi Channel loves all sorts of uh, random topics like that. So he had this idea, and everyone kind of knows the story, he had this idea of this um, sort of young blonde girl in a horror film who always dies first, um, and he wanted to kind of reverse that trope, and he wanted the, the pretty young blonde to be the one who kicks butt, you know, to to be the main character in this uh, in this idea. Um, the original idea was called Rhonda, the Immortal Waitress. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, which, which is interesting, 
um, in a sense that how did he get from Rhonda to Buffy? Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure. But it, that's basically what it morphed into. So it morphed from Rhonda the Immortal Waitress into Buffy. Um, and so he wrote a script, um, which is interesting. Um, I, we, we are going to be talking about that later because we have both read this script um, of his original idea for the movie, um, which was found and picked up by a lady called Fran Rubel Kazooie. Um, she Ooh. ended up... <laughs> she's uh, an interesting lady. She um, ended up directing the film and put together financing. Um, in a nutshell, this is part of the reason why she and her husband, Kaz Kazooie, uh, are both credited on Buffy and Angel, even though they have absolutely nothing to do with either TV series. They are not involved, they never have been, but because she directed this movie and because because of the way that rights work, et cetera, et cetera, she and her husband are always credited. Um, so anyway, she is um, an interesting lady in the sense that she basically dis- she saw this script, she liked it, um, she decided that she wanted um, to do a, a comedy film. Um, obviously, the original script is... It's got comedic elements to it, but it's not really a, a comedy. It's quite a lot darker, uh, really. Yeah, um, it is a little bit darker. Um, obviously, she'd had discussions with, with Joss, and he was obviously super stoked that his vision was coming true, that his film was going to be out. And and from what I can kind of gather from the research that I've done is she was so completely overwhelmed by the fact that she had this movie. She had these, at the time, you know, these massive movie stars in her movie. You know, and at the time, you know, Rutger Hauer, Donald Sutherland, Luke Perry was, you know, one of the biggest sort of teen TV stars at the time. Christy Swanson, um, Paul Rubens, you know, they were all well-known names. And she was kind of flabbergasted by this. And she was like, oh, my God, I've got all these amazing people in my movie. And, you know, they're going to, they don't, they, why would they want me to do it? You know, she was a second-time director. She'd only directed one thing before this. And um, she was overwhelmed and, and slightly intimidated, really, um, especially by Rutger Hauer and, and Donald Sutherland. And there's several interviews where she even admits to feeling the pressure of their involvement because these are big name actors. You know, back in the early 90s, these are big names. They're not so much nowadays, um, but they were back then. And Well, Donald Sutherland, Sutherland certainly is still. Uh... Yeah, I mean, he, he is. Probably more so his son, Kiefer. Um, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland, I would say, is a lot more well-known now than his father. I don't know. I, um, I, I guess I disagree with you there as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. You're allowed to do like, this. I feel like Donald Sutherland, he's always, or not always, but he has a certain gravitas that he lends to the projects that he makes. Oh. And I think that's why she originally thought, you know, this is such a coup. You know, I've got Donald Sutherland. And... And also, his involvement is quite, it's quite widely known that his involvement in this film was part of the reason why Joss eventually walked out of the production, because Joss hated this, (laughs) completely hated him. 
Uh, Donald Sutherland, um, basically, there was some very naughty words that Joss used to describe Donald Sutherland, basically saying that he had a bad attitude. And Donald Sutherland actually rewrote most of his dialogue um, from the original script. Um, and, you know, the, the, the two roles of uh, Lothos and Merrick are very different in my opinion, to the original script. They um, are, and you can, I mean, when you watch the movie, I don't feel it so much from uh, Ritger Hauer, but I definitely feel like Donald Sutherland is not really wanting to be there. No. And it was, I think it was quite well known that he did not really care that much. Um, and in the end, Joss, because Fran Rubel Kazooie, was basically kind of willing to do anything Donald Sutherland wanted, purely for the fact that Donald Sutherland was on set. So she allowed Donald Sutherland to do all this, to rewrite anything he wanted, um, and you know, I feel like I feel like now I understand why in the script there's a scene where Buffy takes Merrick shopping. And he wears, like, this silly outfit and says that he wants to die, pretty much. And I'm starting to understand why that scene was cut, because I'm guessing Donald Sutherland did not want to do that scene. No. <laughs> would, would, Don, would an actor of Donald Sutherland's caliber really want to dress like that? <laughs> Probably not. Um, so, general hostilities with Donald Sutherland. Joss disagreed with Fran Rubel Kazooie, and he ended up walking off set. And... Ever since, he has been very vocal about the fact that he does not consider this movie to be canon. This is not his idea. This is nothing to do with him, even though he has a writing credit, and he has the only writing credit as well um, in the titles. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, so it's the, the, the production was a difficult one sort of for people involved. Um, and when it came out in 1992, um, it was actually a modest success. It wasn't a financial bomb in the sense that it was made for about $7 million um, and ended up grossing uh, over $16.5 million. So it was a modest success. It was never a, an amazing financial success, but it did okay. Um and also, I, I found an interesting fact uh, on IMDb that I thought might interest you, T. In the, in the US, it was released in July 92, um, and here in the UK, it came out in October of the same year. But according to IMDb, it didn't premiere in Sweden until 1995. Yeah, that sounds about likely. So that means that you had to wait a whole three years to see it. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't see it in 95. I saw it right before, uh, like, they started showing Buffy, the series. So it took oh, another okay. couple of years before they showed it on TV so I could see it. I, I mean, I guess my question to you is, bearing in mind that the country of Sweden had to wait three years, <laughs> do you think that was worth the wait? <laughs> oh, um... <laughs> No comment? Um, yeah, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, well, we didn't really know what we were waiting for either. Because we didn't really have, you know, internet trailers or YouTube. So, 
Well, I think that's the thing about this movie is this movie was made in a completely different time. You know, there was none of that. They, there was obviously a trailer, and it would have been shown in the cinema before another film. Um, but there was no YouTube. There was no Vivo. Uh, there was nothing. I mean, you know, you might go to a video rental shop and rent a VHS tape, which might have this trailer on it. Um, but otherwise, you would never have really known, I suppose, that it was three years after... It exploded into the the ether. Um, But no, I just thought that was really interesting. And they did make it clear on IMDb that it was a TV premiere as well. Yeah. Uh, um, So whether it was just just came out on the TV um, only, uh, that's what IMDb says. And as we all know, if it's on the internet, it must be correct. true. We're (laughs) on the internet, then all we say is true. Absolutely, we are 100%. We are like the Wikipedia of uh, podcasts. So if we're going to talk, <laughs> so if we're going to talk about the actual movie now, um, yes. I have to say that partly what I think is really good about the movie is Buffy. I yes. kind of feel like uh, she is the essence of Buffy. You know, like she is. Yeah. Completely innocent, very, you know, like she is shallow and all of those things. Uh, But she's also like clever and quippy. And I really feel like this is Buffy before any kind of hardship has reached her, you know. Because by the time we meet her on the series, she has already obviously met with trauma. But this is really the essence of Buffy. Just completely guileless and innocent and just so delightful i find her really delightful and i think that you know christy swanson is very well cast yes in this world there is not a lot of great casting in this movie in general um but she like you say she is she she's really good at being this kind of vapid cheerleader um who clearly has a lot of wealth um she can have whatever she wants but she's so vulnerable as well you see her talk about her parents and her friend says something like oh you know you're so lucky that your parents always go out and she's kind of like yeah yeah and you can kind of see that she just the vulnerability that's there with her the fact that she wants her parents to care and she wishes that they did and I agree. Um, I think she is. Uh, she's very well cast. And also anybody who dislikes Joyce on the series should uh, take a close look at the original vision for Buffy's parents because they're terrible people. Oh, God, they're awful people. <laughs> um, the, oh, the Buffy's, Buffy's mother, um, who, instead of giving her daughter a kiss, says, kiss noise. Yes, and then literally makes kiss oh, noise. Oh, no. <laughs> And I was this is just, like, and the only thing her father can say to her is, you know, don't take the jag, or, it's like, these, these, I, I kind of don't, under, I kind of do understand how Buffy is how she is, based on her parents, in a sense that her parents don't really care, she can do what she wants, she's had this entitlement, you know, her whole life, she, she's clearly got some money, her parents live in a nice house, um, yeah, really, she's shopping. Really, at this point, she is kind of season one Cordelia, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't think of it that way. But yeah, she absolutely is season one Cordelia. Um, and she has no love at all from her parents. And in a way, you kind of, you watch it and it's, it's kind of done for comedy. But there's there's a very kind of serious undertone to that, that, you know, she... She can, like, one of the first scenes where her, her boyfriend is round and, you know, her mother insists on calling her boyfriend Bobby. <laughs> and, and he says, oh, you know, you just think my name is Bobby. And she says, sometimes I think she thinks my name is Bobby. And it's it's actually really kind of strong emotional stuff that she has to live with parents that don't actually seem to care that much about her. It really is. Uh, and also, at the same time, I think he manages to really capture what he later captures with Buffy on this series, because it's like, you can really tell that she's supposed to be this ultra-modern independence player. Like, she is as much as an individual as she is the player, because uh, it's when Merrick tries to identify her, the Slayer is supposed to have, like, this mole, and he tries to find it, and then she goes, like, what? I have that removed, you know? Like, you know, like, she doesn't care about the ancient stuff or history or stuff, you know? Like, she is so much, she is Buffy, you know? She is an individual, and she will do her Slayer thing, but she is not, you know, she's not Kendra from the show. Yeah. But also, as well, you you kind of do understand, you know, if you were a a young, attractive girl in California in the early 90s, <laughs> if you had a, a, a mole that you didn't like and you had the money to get it removed, of course you would. Especially, if, course it, it, especially if it's, as she says, a big hairy mole. <laughs> exactly, because you're not going to, because... You know, if if you're at school, you know, yeah, she's she's really popular at school. Um, but you walk around with a big, ugly, hairy mole sort of visible, and you're going to start getting nasty comments from people. So absolutely, the first thing she's going to do is get it removed. And you can completely understand that um, from her point of view. Um, but I just think that, she she does bring something to Buffy. You see the sort of start of Buffy. You see the vapid cheerleader, and then as the film progresses, you you it's quite amazing how you see her change. And you know, there's not a lot of sort of character change that goes on in this movie at all. You know, Buffy is our central character. Buffy is the one that we care about, and she is the one that goes through this change and she realises that, you know, the life she had before when she was a popular cheerleader kind of meant nothing. And and it's really nice. And I think Christy Swanson just plays that really well. She can play that kind of vapid, blonde cheerleader persona and she can also play the Slayer. I completely and agree. Uh, I know we said that we were going to divide this up and talk about the movie compared to the script. Uh, uh, later, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna add something here from <gasps> No, don't don't go off please, no we had a plan, we had an idea you know how I feel about this go on. <laughs> well it's just that I feel like in the original script you do get more growth 
and I feel like because uh, there's this really I mean I thought it was a terrific scene that I'm really sad isn't in the movie because it's like when Merrick dies you have this scene in the script where Buffy actually carries his body to the graveyard and then she has yeah. to ca- bury him on her own and I feel like the fact that we didn't get that in the movie is like a giant loss because that is really where she grows, you know? It's something akin to, you know, like kind of passions in uh, the series, you know, where she really has to do something that's really hard on her own. Yeah, and you, you, you get that character growth. And we, and we will speak about the script in a bit more detail later, but, you know, the... There's so much more of that character growth in the script. And, you know, like, we will talk about the script in a bit more detail. Um, but they, I think Christy Swanson did the best that she possibly could. Absolutely. Given, I just feel like given they, the material that she was given. I really feel like they wanted to make it more light, that they didn't want it to go to that dark place. And I guess I can understand that, that they wanted to meet, make it more like fun and campy. And the thing is that. It is a fun and campy movie, you know. I quite yeah. enjoy it for what it is. Um, but it also could have been even greater. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of the comments that obviously we will have about this is purely based on what we know Buffy as a character and as a show can produce. And we know what Joss can produce. And obviously if we didn't have that if we never had seven seasons of a, a TV show and comic books and all and all of that well we wouldn't be here talking about this <laughs> probably just, I don't know maybe we'd be doing a movie podcast or something um, but I also, it, I also feel like the Buffy in the movie she is very quotable you know kind of like yeah. the theory, you know like she is still very quotable very yeah. uh, endearing you know like when she he throws a knife at her head and she's like he threw a knife at my head yeah she I fully I am fully behind Christy Swanson, um, she did the best that she could have done. She is, by and far, I mean, she is supposed to be the best thing in this movie because she's obviously our, our, our main heroine, but she is the best thing in this movie. Definitely. And if it had been another actress, um, I'm trying to remember who I saw was up for the role. I did briefly kind of see a name that was up for the role and didn't get it, but I've completely forgotten it. And I didn't write it down, which was very silly of me. Um, but there was another well-known actress who was up for the role and didn't get it. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, actually, because I don't think Christy Swanson, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to remember anything else that she'd actually been in. I think she's been um, on TV stuff. I don't know. I don't, I don't uh, think she's had a great big career since, but she's very good in it. She is. And but um so <laughs> we, and also we, just sorry, can I just say one oh, thing? Yeah, one thing that I just say uh, did want to know about Christy Swanson is she's actually a decent gymnast. Um uh, that. Where, is, is that her doing those stunts when she Well I think tumbles? it is because in the final shot where she you can see her tumbling, it is actually her. Um and I think I mean I don't know whether she did all of the gymnastics. Um, because generally they do use stunt people 
Um, but she did seem to be doing some gymnastics herself. Um, and also, Maybe that's why her training montage is so great. Her training montage is probably one of the best things. Again, I think the training montage is better in the original script. Um, but, yeah, we can talk about that later. Um, and I just wanted to kind of make a point that in the show, obviously, Sarah Michelle Gellar does do quite a lot of physical stuff. But I don't think she does the sort of gymnastics work at all. I don't think I've ever seen Sarah Michelle Gellar do the the flips. And I think it's pretty much always a stunt woman. And that just could be because she can't do them. She's not a gymnast. And maybe Christy Swanson was a gymnast. Um, and so they utilise that. But I thought that was quite interesting that, you know, she seems to be a fairly decent gymnast. And um, she obviously did some stunts it's clearly her in some scenes um but yeah anyway so just maybe move on from christy swanson even though she is yeah okay by far the best thing in this film i have um (laughs) i have two things about the movie that again i really like this movie and i think it's cute and funny uh there are just two things that are like super lame uh, Only two things. Yeah, okay, there were three things if you count Donald Sutherland as well, but let's not count Donald Sutherland. Uh, <laughs> and the first thing is, yeah, the cramped. The cramps. Oh my god. The fact that Buffy gets cramps when she encounters vampires. I mean, just imagine the angel and spike relationship she has if she went around having cramps all the time. That would have been an interesting show, right? Oh, my God. It's just, obviously, you know, there will be some people listening to this who are not women and do not understand maybe how that might feel. And it's something I think that is different for different women. Different women experience these things in different ways. But But from my personal experience, if you're feeling like that, the last thing you're going to want to do is... And it's clearly in the movie, as she gets her cramps, she kind of, like, keels over and, like, clutches her stomach as if she is in severe pain. So it's not like... They're clearly very serious. Yeah, it's not like she's just sensing them. She's, like, clearly in a, at a disadvantage, you know? <laughs> but interesting to note, um, this, this cramp thing was in the original script. Which is... Yeah, I, Which is really interesting because it's one of those things that everyone kind of laughs at and thinks it's just terrible. Because it is but terrible. Was, <laughs> it is. It's absolutely terrible. But this was in Joss's script. Yeah, that was his um, vision. Yeah, but I, I have to admit it's the sort of vision that I'm glad that when they went to the TV show they got rid of this because... Well, maybe they had to since, since she was going to fall in love with a vampire. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously there is no angel or anything like angel in this in this original in this film or the original script. Um, but yeah, they they made a, a good idea, I think, in in getting rid of the cramps. And uh, one thing I did notice was at the basketball game, um, there's a vampire there the whole time, and she doesn't get one single cramp. She's just doing her cheer, yeah, see, and then she goes to the side, and then she notices him. But she doesn't kind of hold a stomach or wince or anything. I mean, that's why so, those things never work because they always have to like come and go with you know convenience. So it's just yeah. best to not have them at all. Yeah, I mean, sometimes 
you know, continuity is a good thing in films and sometimes it's not. But if you're going to make a point of saying, oh, yeah, she gets cramps every time a vampire is near so she can sense them. If she doesn't get cramps when there's a vampire near, then it's kind of all a bit pointless, really. But, um, okay. yeah. So the second lame thing I have about the movie is the vampires. <laughs> they are interesting looking, aren't they? Um, they? They look completely different to the vampires that we know from the show. I'm fine with how they look, but how they act is so over the top and really not menacing at all. Like, they're not really scary. They're like a parody of vampires. But I think that's kind of, you know, I, part, maybe part of the reason why Joss walked out of the production was they took his sort of very serious metaphor about, you know, a young girl sort of blossoming and coming into her own, and they turned it into a sort of farcical comedy. Yeah, because you have, like, when the, the vampires are coming to her prom, and then they're, like, all standing in these open doors, and there's, like, smoke all around them. <laughs> they're all, like, standing kind of like in, like, like they're going to be in the Michael Jackson thriller video, and they're like, send Buffy out! <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they are a caricature of vampires. They are not scary in Anyway, there is not one vampire in this whole movie that is frightening or remotely threatening or scary. Even even Lothos isn't actually that scary. Yeah. He just monologues all the time. Exactly, and uh, yeah, it's that part of it. You know, if you're going to have a any sort of, I mean, fair enough. They, they, it's a comedy, but it's also a horror comedy, and I think. Sometimes I feel like they, if you're gonna have villains, you need them to be villainous. Yeah, I definitely feel like they lost the horror because they kind of got lost in trying to make it kind of grandiose. And you know, you have the scene where Lothos comes down with his cloak unraveled like he's Dracula or something, and it's uh, it doesn't work at all. No, it really doesn't. And I mean, if you're gonna talk about the, the vampires, can we? Please talk about Paul Rubens. <laughs> um, because Paul Rubens is an interesting casting choice. Um, I mean, this is a guy who is quite big in America. I don't know if he's... He's not really that big here. I don't know if, if he's big in Sweden. Not but really. Pee Wee Herman is obviously a, a very well-known character. Um, and he played Pee Wee Herman for long a long time, and Pee Wee Herman's kind of a very kind of innocent sort of comedy character. I don't really know that much about the character or the character's history, but Paul Rubens was obviously very well known for playing this role, and obviously he wanted to branch out, he wanted to do something different, and they said, oh, we've got this, this vampire film that's coming out, you know, you'd be perfect for this role, you're you're playing a, a, a vampire minion to this superior vampire. Um, you've been alive for 1,200 years since the Crusades. You know, you are, you know, this this guy is kind of supposed to be Lothos's right-hand man, uh, which is 
kind of ironic. Actually, no, he loses his left hand, yeah. <laughs> I believe, his left arm. Um, so, yeah, technically, he is still the right-hand man to uh, Lotho. I have to admit um, that I do kind of love his portrayal. Like, it is really kind of silly, but, like, his... But it's, I think it's over-the-top silly. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think it works. I think he's the only vampire that I really like in this movie, and I really like his extended death scene, like, where he's just kind of, like kicking the wall and I don't know I find it very charming yeah I think his death scene is probably the one scene that people really kind of remember um I mean apparently that was completely improvised um and they just sort of kept the camera on him and he just kind of went for it um you can kind of tell (laughs) I I just feel like and maybe again this is because We've both read the original script, and we've both seen what Amelin is supposed to be like. You know, I'm going to be and honest, in the movie, I never even caught that his name was Amelin. I didn't get that until I read the No, I don't think he actually called it, and I was a bit concerned whether it was Amy Lynn or Amelin, because I don't think he's actually referenced at all. No, I was just like, oh yeah, that's Paul Rubens, you know, that's how I think of him. And then I was like, oh wait, he must have a name in the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> But apparently, interestingly, another interesting fact, um, the character of Amy Lynn, um, obviously it sounds like a very feminine name, because, um, I mean, it looks like Amy Lynn, uh, I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be pronounced, but apparently the original character was female. Oh, really? Um, and it was offered to an actress who turned it down, and then they found Paul Rubens, and they were like, obviously he's a reasonably big name, um, so let's have him. And the character was changed into a, a male character, but retained the name of Amelin. I think that would have been interesting if uh, he had been a female. I think it would have been as well. Um, just to kind of have that parallel to, you know, the the relationship between Lothos and Buffy, because there is obviously a weird kind of thing going on between the two characters he is obviously trying to find her and she dreams about him and yeah, that yeah, thing is also really weird and kind of off-putting oh yeah <laughs> i mean just sort of on the subject of creepy old guys <laughs> um can we talk about creepy old guys in now i never kind of noticed it before until i kind of rewatched it recently but the older uh actors uh, Rutger Hauer and Donald Sutherland are especially creepy, <laughs> but not in a in a you know a, what you'd expect in a horror film, but sort of creepy in a really inappropriate way with Buffy. <laughs> and it just kind of like yeah, I really reacted when um, Merrick reveals himself to Buffy, and then he kind of just goes like, "Yeah, what?" I When he tells her that she's the slayer, then he goes like, "You come with me now." Graveyard. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like she's she's expected to just drop everything and go with a strange man to a graveyard, and she just. And then it's like he mentions her dreams, and he says, "Oh, it's okay because I know about your dreams." And then she's like, "Oh, okay, then I'll go with you." <laughs> oh, creepy old man. And when she first meets him in the in the shopping mall, and he opens the lift. Yeah, and he just stands there and stares at her. 
And he just gawps at her, and she's like, ew. So, can we talk a little bit about the script now? Uh, let me let me just quickly go through uh, my notes, because I obviously, I do make quite a lot of extensive notes. Um, uh, is there anything else I want to talk about? Um, can we quickly talk about Luke Perry? Is that okay? Can you just say something about oh, marriage from the script? Can we can we talk about Luke Perry? Um, now, when I was um, considerably younger, obviously I'm quite young now, but when I was a bit younger, I had the biggest crush on Luke Perry. I fantasised about him all the time. So to me, young version of me, this movie was Luke Perry's in it. Literally, I just want to see Luke Perry. That's all I want to see. And, you know, for most of the film... He's a bit scruffy, and bear in mind, he's supposed to be high school age, and he's actually 26. Well, you can tell. I was thinking about that when I was watching it. I was like, why does he look like he's, like, 30? Because <laughs> he is almost 30. But he he looks, when when he goes to the school dance at the end, or sort of towards the end, um, he looks just like Dylan McKay out of Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> and I'm just like, <sighs> it's like... The rest of the film just kind of flitters away, and it's like, yeah, Luke Perry, he is dreamy. No, <laughs> I am not a big Luke. I'm not a big Luke Perry fan, but I'm gonna be <laughs> honest that it's partly because I will never, ever, 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 ever forgive him for picking Kelly over Brenda. Oh. To 90210 non-fans, you might not know what that means, but basically, he picked the I wrong freaking girl. Okay. Did he did pick the wrong girl, and you know, but we've got to we've got to separate Dylan McKay from Luke Perry. Luke Perry had nothing to do with that. It was the writers of Nine Hundred Two One Decision. I'm not interested in your apologies, man. <laughs> but you know, Luke Perry is Luke Perry. He is okay. He just looks really nice, and I think that's kind of all the the only serviceable thing that he does in the whole film is he looks good, and especially at the end at the school dance. I actually he think he has a bit of a purpose. I think that he's kind of a prototype Scooby, because he is the one who kind of encourages Buffy to keep to keep playing, and he, like, tries to help her, and he's not very good at it, but... He for her, and, you know, he... Um, and obviously, the character's name is Oliver Pike, he does have a first name. His first name is Oliver. His surname is Pike. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Did you? Yeah. Okay. I'm just full of so much useless Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie trivia today. Um, yeah, and obviously, with his surname being Pike, um, I don't know whether Spike is a subtle sort of backwards reference. I know that Joss has always said the movie is not canon. It's never going to be canon. He hates it. It was uh, maybe it's just a uh, similarity for similarity's sake. Maybe Joss didn't realise that they're similar. But yeah, he is Pike. Or it's that he kind of keeps reusing stuff that he did put in the movie in the show. So it's I think it's entirely possible that Spike is kind of based on Pike because he does reuse stuff. Well, and also we we do kind of meet Merrick in season one of Buffy. Is it season one? There's a flashback, uh, I believe. I think it's season two. Season two, whichever season. But I believe we do actually meet Merrick, or we see Merrick. I don't, 
my my brain is just completely thinking of this movie now and it's like the tv show does not exist anymore to me it's just all about this movie um but yeah we do we do meet merrick again he is mentioned um obviously the fact that he's a watcher is mentioned in the the, the tv show um but i don't think i don't particularly think there's anything else oh, i did want to uh shout out to uh paul rubens stuntman on the um when there's a scene with um pike and he's in his van and he starts his van and he's like go on girl start 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 make me proud and um <laughs> He starts his car, he reverses into two vampires, and then he drives into uh, Paul Rubens, who grabs onto the car, the, sorry, the van. Uh, I just want to shout out to the convenient handles on the top of the van <laughs> for a to hold onto, because I must admit, whenever I've seen a van driving round where I live, I've never seen convenient handles on the top of the van. Well, clearly you live in the fancy part of town. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I live in the part of town where the, the makers of, of the van, Ford, whoever, didn't put handles on the top. So I just wanted to um, to shout out to uh, to the makers of the van for putting very convenient handles so that the stuntman can hold on as the stunt driver is swerving left and right. I thought that was excellent work. Well done, um, van makers. <laughs> um I don't really think there's anything else we need to say about the movie. Um, I think we're in a general agreement, which is bizarre, that it's not as bad as probably what we think it is, in a sense that when you look back, you think it's bad, but it's actually not that bad. It's got some redeeming features, still not brilliant, but there's kind of stuff to enjoy, and it's funny, and I think... I think we should talk about the um, original script. Yeah, I think that for the movie, you need to enjoy it for what it is, really. Exactly. And bearing in mind that the original script was, you know, Joss's original vision um, for the show. Sorry, not for the show, duh, for the movie. Um, And what we'll do, actually, is when we put the podcast up, we'll also include a link to the original script so that if anyone does want to read it um, and understand what we're talking about, then by all means go out it's freely available online it's not where we stole it from Josh. that's not the reason why i've got that restraining order i didn't go into his house that day I so didn't she says that's <laughs> <like> horn. <laughs> didn't steal anything from him um it is freely available online but we will put a link up to it um so differences uh i think okay can i have a slight rant here in the difference in the script uh that I noted, because the thing is, you started out with saying what most of us know, that, you know, Joss started with this vision where he wanted, you know, the bimbo in the horror movie to survive and basically kick ass. Yeah. But I think it's also really important that in the script, because, you know, there's another horror movie trope, and that is that it's the virgin who lives and it's the girl who has sex who dies. And I think it's actually really important that in the script, he is quite clear about the fact that Buffy has a sex life. Uh, Because in the movie, you get to see her boyfriend come over in the evening, but then she wakes up alone. But in the script, she wakes up with her boyfriend. And if that is too subtle, there's actually a scene where a boy in high school tells Merrick later that, like, everybody knows about Buffy. And he's like, "Uh, what do they know? And the boy's like, oh, does she have sex? (laughs) 
So, you know, clearly she even has a reputation for having sex and she is still the girl who gets to live. And I think that it's really sad that they kind of sanitize that because I think that was really part of his vision that he wanted the girl who had sex to get to survive the horror movie, you know? Yeah. And I think generally when, when reading the original script, um, I mean, the, the finished result is similar you know there's a lot that's the same there's a lot that's slightly tweaked but i think we can safely say that the the movie that came out was the pg version of joss's <laughs> original idea it's got the you know like i say there's no sex there's you know yes there's death but and the vampires are real you know, there's, there's proper death in the in the script um and sorry what were you saying like the vampires are not so you know, like in the script, they come across way more scary. Yes, like way more oh, intimidating, yeah, and like Mary's yeah. death is quite—it's quite horrible in in the script. You know. Yeah, I think I think we should talk about Merrick because I think out of all of the characters in the in the original script and in the finished movie, um, Merrick in the script is such a better character he is so much better so much fleshed out but i also find out so much about him i also really felt like in the script merrick and buffy's relationship is a lot more like giles and buffy like you can see that joss wanted them to get that kind of warm father-daughter relationship that is kind of just not really there in the movie because because of the changes they made to merrick pretty much well, this this will be um, Donald Sutherland. This will be Donald Sutherland, presumably not wanting certain scenes, not wanting a certain death. Um, it may it may not be. It may be we want a PG film. You know, we have to change this to get a PG rating. We have to change that. Um, but I would imagine a lot of this is probably Donald Sutherland saying, "I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this." Uh, and the the Merrick that we see in the film is just so disjointed and creepy and he in the script he's he's you know, you genuinely feel for him as a character. You know, you you like him. Um and so when he does die in the script and, and, and the way that he dies, you really feel that emotion and it's it's genuinely quite shocking. It is. And so, then, you know, you have the whole scene where she has to bury him on her own. And I I really feel like Merrick was very miscast. Like, if they had had another actor, I think that that character could have been considerably better. Yeah, I mean, some, I mean, the gravitas of someone like Donald Sutherland, you know, he is that sort of actor who does bring the sort of gravitas to any sort of role. And that that is right in the sense that we want someone who has a screen presence and who is very visible and has that commanding screen presence that that Donald Sutherland does but I think you're right I think they could have found someone else who could have done a better service to Merrick as a character Um, because I think I think we should talk a little bit about his death scene in the script and the difference between the script and the (laughs) quite frankly awful death scene that he has in the movie which is completely different yeah because in the movie he gets like they have this weird face off with Lothos (laughs) where Lothos just kind of stands on a hill and kind of monologue 
like has this monologue about what he's gonna do to Buffy, and then Merrick is like, no, not her. And then there's this kind of weird slow mo, or well, it's not really slow mo, but it, it's like fake slow mo. Exactly, where it's like his <laughs> own stake is turned against him, and he is. By the way, the stakes they use in this movie, they're like, I mean, it's like legs from tables. They're huge. But anyway, and then he kind of gets staked by his own stake and like coughs into this little napkin and or handkerchief. And Lothos just kind of walks away because Buffy's not ready yet. And (laughs) Merrick is left to die in her arms. And it's it's just... you know, it's it's a it's a god awful scene. It's you you just don't feel anything for this character. It except maybe die faster. <laughs> maybe maybe she should have died like Amalyn died and <laughs> you know kicked the wall or something like that. Maybe that would have been better. But in the original script, there is a, a very it's it's there's a lot more build up to the death um merrick actually has a gun which he's concealing um and he in a in a sense he faces off with lothos um he's concealing a gun um uh, lothos mentions something about are you going to shoot me with that gun obviously he knows there's a gun there um i believe buffy is watching from a distance as well you can they can't see her but Merrick is trying to protect Buffy from Lothos. He doesn't want Lothos to find her. Um, and in the end, um, he takes the gun, and you're reading the script, and you think, oh, he's going to use the gun on Lothos. You know, he's going to shoot him. But he doesn't. He he ends up shooting himself, purely so that Lothos won't kill him and turn him into a vampire. Yeah. Uh, and just... Obviously, Buffy witnesses all of this, um, and yeah, like you say, she she ends up burying Merrick herself, and it's it's obviously you know no one likes to talk about you know a, a sort of death by someone shooting themselves. Uh, it's it's a sort of a very sort of shocking death. Especially so because if you've seen the movie and then you read the script and you don't sort of see it coming, you you realise he he mentions he's got a gun. You, gen- well, I genuinely thought he's gonna try and shoot Lothos. The fact he turns the gun on himself to protect Buffy uh, because Lothos will turn him um, was really kind of got to me. I I was genuinely moved and emotional. Um, and clearly, it was a far too serious a subject for a comedy film to um, to do. And so they went with a stupid, he's going to stake himself with his own stake. Yeah. Uh, which just doesn't have the same kind of gravitas. It just doesn't, it's so, it's so bad, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I just, when when I go through this script... There is so much potential for something good. Well, I also felt like Joss really had, um, he had a vision for the lore. 
like both for Merrick and for vampires and for the Slayer. Because, for example, like you see that Merrick has a picture of Buffy from her ten uh, from her tenth birthday, and uh, so he has clearly been shadowing her for a long time, which you know obviously echoes later with like the potentials and stuff in the series that you know you're before you become called you are a potential. Because uh, they also have this story in the script where her friend talks about some freak accident in gymnastics where Buffy had some supernatural prowess and everybody yeah. was like super wowed by by it and that's kind of why she quit gymnastics. But it clearly indicates that even though she's not called, she still has like Slayer prowess kind of. Yeah. So he, she he, has she has a gift of some yeah, sort. Yeah, like clearly he had an idea for like the whole. Slayer line thing here already uh, and you know like Merrick obviously is also supernatural because he is reborn over and over again as the Watcher yeah I mean they, I don't think it's expressly kind of mentioned in the movie about Watchers uh, but in the script they go into some detail about Watchers and um, about um, Slayers and um, I know that there's, there's quite a lot of flashbacks in the in the script as well, and there are some flashbacks in the movie of Buffy from back in the day. Um, it wasn't Buffy, but kind of was Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they mention in, in the original script about that, you know, Slayer from... Um, I think they mention a, sl- um, a Slayer from um, a slave plantation... Um, a slayer from hmm, I'm trying to think where else but the basically they, they they allude to the fact that a slayer can be any girl uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be buffy reincarnate every single time it could be um any any type of girl from anywhere in the world and that's obviously also um you know as we go into the show that's also mentioned with the potentials and everything like that, that a slayer could be anyone. Any girl in, in the world could be a slayer. Um, but it's, you know, the we basically find out all about the slayer history, that in every generation there is a chosen one. But it's 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 not kind of mentioned in that way, but um, it's it's alluded to, I think, more in the, in the script than it is in the actual movie. Yeah, I think they kind of downsized it a little bit in the movie because it was probably considered um, complicated, I would guess. Yeah, which is, and they just wanted jokes, didn't they? They yeah. just wanted joke to joke. They didn't want to talk about. Well, it's probably the, also uh, history. why they cut out because uh, I thought it was kind of nice that in the script they also have the scene where Merrick kind of explains vampires to Buffy and like, no, they can't turn into bats. And then he mentions like historical figures who were supposedly vampires. Uh, and you know, I feel like they they take some more time in the script just kind of explaining vampire lore in general, you know? Although I have to say, but I think it's super lame that Lothos is a vampire king. Uh, I feel like Joss kind of reuses that with the master on Buffy, but at least they don't say that he's a vampire king. It it sounds really lame to me. It is. There are a lot of similarities, I found, between that script. And you can definitely see, especially in season one of Buffy, the the show, where they kind of took bits from that script and translated it into the show, and 
obviously they did a much better job. I mean, you know, say what you want about season one. I think generally people think it's one of the weakest seasons of Buffy, but it was a, a great platform for future seasons to kind of come off. And yeah, you can definitely see the master in the script version of Lothos. And the movie version of Lothos is literally just Rutger Howard chewing up scenery and monologuing. And, <laughs> and that's basically all he does. He's like the master um, in the first rolled into one. <laughs> it's just, it's quite laughable, really, that they, they took something that could have been, and it, it did have potential. It really did. Um, and like you say, the, the vampires weren't menacing. Lothos is a villain. He, he wasn't scary in the movie. In the script, I think he is genuinely quite menacing. Um, it's just... He, you know, and his his death. Actually, his death in the script is interesting as well. Um, he actually is, is killed by um, a number two pencil, <laughs> which I found quite interesting. Um, that they they mention that um, she she kind of hits him, and um, all that's left sticking out of him is um, a number two pencil with an eraser at the end. Um, and you know, it's. It's there's this so much good stuff in this script. Yeah. So for example, Amelyn actually kind of dies like Luke dies at the end of the Buffy pilot. Um uh, yes. that she's about the sunrise and yeah. So he has a way more uh, not comedic kicking the wall kind of death <laughs> in the script. <laughs> I just the thing is, Amelyn, uh in the movie, um this this is a vampire that's been Lothos's minion for so long. How can we actually believe that this moron <laughs> has survived since the Crusades? I mean, he's a joke. Um, at least in the script, you know, he. I, I actually, he actually made a, a bit more serious. I actually made a note about that too. Uh, when I was watching the movie, I wrote like twelve hundred years, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know, and this is the fact that. Even Lotho says in the film something like, I, how have you survived this long? And you just don't know. I just I just don't know. It's it's one of those things, you know, we will we will never know what a Buffy movie with this original script could have been like, other than what we got was so completely different. Um it was undoubtedly gonna be better. But, you know, in the end, you know, we got seven seasons of a great TV show based off Joss's original script, um, which I actually found out was turned into a, a comic book series called Origin. Oh, really? Um, which was based on Joss's original script. Um, he actually says, um, the original comic, though I have issues with it, can pretty much be accepted as canonical. Hmm. Uh, he says they did a cool job of combining the movie script with the series. Um, that was nice. And using the series Merrick and not a certain other thespian, <laughs> uh, referring to Donald Sutherland, who shall remain hated. <laughs> so, so this, this beef... know how to hold on to grudges, huh? Yeah, just this beef between Joss and Donald Sutherland, I think it will never go away. Um, you know, I don't think they will ever work together ever again. Um, and I have two final things to say about the script, and that is, that is two lines that I'm really glad they either removed or changed. 
Uh, okay. Right before we started recording, I did tell you that uh, Buffy originally says that she just wants to go to Europe, marry Charlie Sheen, and die. And I'm very glad they changed that to Christian Slater, because Charlie Sheen can bite me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't actually pick that up uh, at all. Maybe I was just thinking too much about Christian Slater, and I thought it said Christian Slater. I don't know. But... Christian Slater against Charlie Sheen in the 90s, it's always going to be Christian Slater. Always. Although my older uh, sister would disagree with us there. She had a big thing for Charlie Sheen. Uh, the second I line... Was okay. But, <laughs> the second line that I'm super happy they cut is that uh, Buffy's ex-boyfriend and her friend Jenny are having sex in a car. And yes. in the movie, we just have like Buffy running by going like, that was quick. Um, but in the script, you actually have Jennifer going like, make me a woman. Yes, make me a woman. <laughs> so terrible. It is really bad. Um, yeah, so I mean, this, you know, let's, let's not pretend that the script is absolutely perfect in every way. It's not. There are quite a lot of things that are wrong with it. Um, I was very surprised um, that quite a lot because Joss is known for you know being a feminist and for having feminist values um and in the original script um Buffy's boyfriend Jeffrey refers to her as his thing he does that in the movie too he does that in the movie as well but I was surprised that was in the original script um there was quite a few other things I I was thinking that that he's trying to channel how a guy like that would talk yeah because I do feel like that's what I mean with the whole importance that he actually wanted Buffy to have a sex life and that she has a sex life with the guy she doesn't even end up with uh I feel like that is almost groundbreaking (laughs) well it is and the other thing I noticed I don't know if you noticed it as well but in the movie, and it is in the script as well, so this is something from the script, um, there's kind of an offhand joke between um, Pike and his friend Benny. Before Benny is turned into a vampire, they're walking along, and um, Benny mentions, I, I can't think of what the actual line is, but it's basically alluding to the fact that um, him, they could be in a relationship with each other, And Pike turns around and says, oh, but you would never call me. Um, And back in the 90s, you know, any sort of reference to any gay relationship was just either not mentioned or laughed off or kind of uncomfortable silence following or that sort of thing. Um, But it's basically just taken as a a line between two friends. It's, It's not made a big deal out of. It's... You know, it's it's not kind of, oh, dude, I didn't mean it like that. Oh, yeah, yeah man, we're dude, we're friends, yeah. And it's, in the in the 90s, I think it would have, in any other kind of show written by any other, or, t- or movie, I keep saying show, this is terrible. I'm still thinking of Buffy the show. In, in any other movie in the early 90s, it just wouldn't have been, it would it would have been mentioned, but it would have been kind of laughed off or brushed off or something. And the fact that it wasn't, I think was obviously something that Joss kind of put in intentionally. Um, And I just found that quite interesting, that it was just two friends talking, oh, you know, we could be together, oh, but you would never call me, and that's it. There was no follow-up from that 
worth kind of talking about. But I kind of wanted to talk about it because I thought it was interesting that there was no, oh, sorry, man, sorry, man, you know. Do you see what I mean? What, what I'm trying to... Yeah, I, I don't think I reacted to that, though. I don't think I... I, I didn't really notice that at all. Like, okay. No, I definitely uh, noticed it. And it just... Just comparing it to other shows or other movies, especially when we've got two guys who are close friends, there, sometimes there can be a little bit of homophobia in Hollywood. Oh, you know, oh, we can't allude to two guys being more than friends. You know, we need to put a laughter track in, or we need to say this instead. And there was none of that. And that, that actually felt quite nice, that it was just mentioned and then nothing. I like that. So have we uh, thoroughly discussed... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie now? <laughs> it's, well, I mean, how can you summarise this movie and its legacy, um, really? I mean, the legacy is, is clear. The legacy is the show and the the comics and everything else that's kind of come from it. Um, without this movie, we wouldn't have the show. Um, it is not canon. It's not related in any way. But the groundwork is there for the the Buffy that we know and love and for her friends and for her watcher and for her life. Um, I just also want to shout out some uh, performances that um, are in the movie. Um, obviously, we see uh, a young Hilary Swank who goes on to, I think she won an Oscar yeah. um, several years ago. She is uh, Buffy's friend Kimberly. Um, we've got Ben Affleck, who is obviously a massive star director. Uh, He's currently playing Batman. He plays the basketball player who gives up the ball. Um, Apparently, I've not seen him, but apparently Seth Green is also in the movie. He plays one of the red-headed vampires at the dance. But apparently, you only see the back of his head. (laughs) So, And also, Ricky Lake, uh, the American chat show host, she plays the waitress uh, in the restaurant... Uh, where they order like a hot dog without a dog. Uh, she's their waitress, and oh, I didn't uh, that. well, she's she looks very different because I think when she was younger, she was uh, she she was quite a bit bigger than she is now. Yeah, but I've seen her on Crybaby, but I didn't I didn't think about that again. You need you need to rewatch. Yeah. She she plays the waitress, and also I found out on the internet, so it must be true. Uh, please don't shout can we it's not true but um, Alexis Arquette who is the brother of David Arquette plays uh, the vampire DJ and also Slash plays the DJ before Alexis Arquette takes over as the vampire DJ so shout out to those people for starting their careers or finishing their careers on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Um, you were all fantastic and um I just wanted to make a point that in the movie, cats are still snacks because Lotho <laughs> yes, you walked away from the kitchen and says, "I'm going to have a snack." So that is clearly canon uh, from the show because, as we know, um, vampires do enjoy eating cats or kittens, or they trade in cats and kittens. So, um, so yeah, um, uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else that we can say. Yeah. So, um, um, everybody go watch the movie. Everybody go watch the movie and read the script and then let us know what you think if you agree with us about our um, basic assumptions about these things. I mean, we're, 
obviously really interested to hear people's views, um, especially on the script and what people think of that, because I, I think most people have watched the movie. Um, a lot of people don't like it. Um, I think that people should give it a chance. Um, try and get the TV show out of your mind. Give this a shot. Um, it's not as bad as you probably remember it. Uh, and, um, yeah, read the script and see what you think about the differences. See what you think about similarities, because there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, there um, are. And now um, I actually have to go, so I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> is it that time? Yes, it's that time. The sun is coming out. I'm about to... Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to kick the wall in anger. I also need to go snack on that kitten. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Well, I think this is probably an ideal time to um, to finish the podcast and to uh, say goodbye. So um, I've been Athena. I've been talking. And um, this has been Once More with Podcast. And uh, hope to see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so how funky is your chicken? How funky is your chicken? How loose is your goose? Our goose is totally loose. So come on, all your half bands. So come on, all your half bands. And shake your caboose. And shake your caboose. Oh, I knew the first part. <laughs> <laughs> Lord.